Open your Bibles, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Going to look at an old familiar story this morning as we move into week number 8 in our Believe series. And this series encompasses the key beliefs of the Christian faith. And we started talking about God. I won't do the whole review this morning. And Jesus and the Bible and what we have in them. And then we come to the 8th week and it's compassion. This quality, this characteristic, why this one? Well, this one in particular expresses the heart of God. I want us to read it together. It's right there under compassion. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. Do we believe that? As a church, I think this body of believers has demonstrated compassion through the decades in some amazing ways from right here in Honolulu to the ends of the earth and continues to do so but what about us as individuals sometimes I wonder about me in given situations am I really demonstrating compassion did you ever have questions about yourself in that regard I mean what is important in my life and when people around me are hurting Suffering? Am I really concerned about that? Well, I think there are some principles I want us to consider this morning that have to do with that. Here's our key verse this week. Let's bring that up. In fact, let's read that together as well. Right out of Psalms. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. As you read through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, there's a thread of God's concern for the poor, for the oppressed, the widows, the fatherless, those who are not receiving justice. It's there. And that's what I want us to consider. Here's the first principle. It's in your outline. When we show compassion, we're rejecting our me-first default to reflect the wideness of God's heart. Leslie Vernick wrote a book, and she was featured on a broadcast on Focus on the Family recently, and it's called Finding Selfless Joy in a Me-First Generation. And she said, that's our default. We always go to, in the West in particular, what's best for me? It's so individualistic. In so many parts of the world, it's like there's a concern for the family, it's about the village. It's about the church. You know, if you're part of a church. But, you know, in the West, it's what is best in this circumstance for me? And what happens is we forget about those around us who are in deep need. And when that happens, she said, we become critics of the poor or the oppressed and explain away why we don't have to care about them. Jesus, on the other hand, had no limit to his compassion, did he? He cared about the scattered. Called them sheep without a shepherd. He cared about them. We're the gathered, folks. The scattered aren't with us this morning. We ought to have compassion like Jesus did for the scattered. He cared about the seekers. Those who came to him with questions. Those who were suffering. Those who were down and out. He cared about sinners. People who had made terrible choices who had messed up their lives unbelievably. He knew all about it. 
And yet he extended compassion. That gives me real hope personally. He cared even about religious people who were filled with pride about their self-righteousness. One of these people came to him one day. It was a religious scholar in the law of Moses. And this guy came to Jesus, not with the best motives, but he's asking Jesus, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the law. What does it say to you? And he said, well, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He knew the verse. He knew the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And then the scholar, that lawyer in the law of Moses said, well, who's my neighbor? Long before Mr. Rogers ever said, won't you be my neighbor? This guy is saying, who do I have to have as my neighbor? In other words, I don't know how far this thing should go here. Jewish people that are of this particular... No, who's my neighbor? How far must I extend this thing, Jesus? And so Jesus told a story uh, to him and said this in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side, skirted that man in the ditch. Well, the priest in Jewish society, I mean, you don't get any holier than that. They could go right into the presence of God. The high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But I mean, these people ministered to God and to the people on behalf of God. But wait a minute. If that priest stopped and touched that wounded man, he'd be rendered unclean according to the law. He'd be defiled. So that could mess up his work, and so we can give the priest a pass maybe. But the Levite, that'd be like a, a temple assistant, an altar boy in some denominations today. I mean, he wouldn't have that same excuse. What was his problem? Well, he had duties at the temple, too. He was busy with religious work. Maybe he had other things on his mind. I mean, do we ever do that? We're so involved in religious activity that we don't have time to care about people in our own family, people in our church family, people at our work that are hurting, people that we live beside. Well, I confess, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Too often. We get so involved in in uh, Bible studies and ministry and all those kinds of things. But you know, what are those things designed for? They are to help us develop a heart of compassion, among other things, like Jesus. And so that's what happened to these religious people. We can fall into that trap. But I think there's other reasons why sometimes we don't really have compassion for the poor, for the suffering, for the fatherless and the widows around us. Sometimes... We're overwhelmed. Where do we begin? There's so many needs, aren't they? In fact, we have, we're in a 24-7 news cycle now, and it's like you see all the devastation that is out there, and can we say a prayer for those people? Yes. How can we get involved? The homeless crisis in our own city is just overwhelming. I confess, wow, I met with a person from the state this last week, and we're talking about that in our pastor's roundtable. 
It's overwhelming. Where do you begin? Not to mention just sick people around us or people that have lost a loved one or people that are struggling financially. I mean, where do you... So sometimes we think, I don't even know where to begin, so I can't do everything. I'm not going to do anything. Sometimes we want to justify ourselves like this lawyer did. That's why he came to Jesus. And so we say, well, I'm not sure they deserve help. And so we see a newscast. There was one on in L.A. recently of a pregnant woman standing in a street corner with a little child with her and holding out, you know, a bowl for some money. And people were generously giving her money. But toward the end of the day, a lady came up and was watching her and then videoed her as she went around the corner and got into her Mercedes Benz and drove off. And that was on the evening news that night. And so we say, well, that's how people are, you know. They're all like that. And uh, we, we call them all scammers. Phil Spaulding, who works at the River of Life, said, we divide people into have-nots, will-nots, and can-nots. Some people have just lost it and they just find themselves in that situation. Some people can't because physically or mentally they're just unable. Some people will not because uh, they just uh, choose not to. So we can't generalize when we think of the poor. Sometimes we do that to get ourselves off the hook from extending compassion to the one that God leads us to. We'd rather cross by on the other side of the road. Well... He deserves to be hungry. He drank so much and he got, you know, he became an alcoholic. He de- he's not worthy of my compassion. She, she's overworked and underpaid, but after all, she got pregnant at 16 and, you know, that's what she did to herself. Really? Have you and I made bad choices? Have we turned the wrong direction? Have we received any compassion ourselves? We need to ask those kinds of questions. There are people all around us that have been beaten up by the circumstances of life. Their background, their family situation. Yes, choices that they've made, just like we can identify with. And when we show compassion, we reject this me-first attitude or default and begin to reflect the wideness of the heart of God. Secondly, when we show compassion... We're coming alongside those in need to help without hurting. To help without hurting. I'll elaborate on that in just a moment. But let's get back to Jesus' story. In verse 33 it says, But a Samaritan, Jesus said, A Samaritan, that's those hated foreigners. The Jews would have nothing to do with them. And yet Jesus interjects this guy into the story. He was on a journey. Came upon him this man lying by the side of the road. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Jesus used that foreigner intentionally in that story. I mean, because if it had been a Samaritan lying in the ditch, no self-respecting Jew would have given him a second thought. But here's this guy reaching out, getting off his donkey, coming over and caring for the man, bandaging him, 
taking him to the inn on his own beast and giving the man money. He got involved, didn't he? That's what compassion does. Compassion means to suffer with. doesn't mean to throw money at, to criticize, or to have all these platitudes we use about the poor. It means getting involved with that individual and coming alongside. Now, there's risk there, right? In fact, when he walked toward that man, there could have been a risk there. Maybe he was faking it. You know, maybe he was a robber himself. Maybe the robbers were still around. I mean, then he got involved with his time, with his money. Yeah, compassion does that. That's what compassion is about, to suffer with someone. Matthew Barnett is a young man who 20 years ago uh, was asked by his father, who's the pastor of a mega church in Colorado Springs, to go into inner city Los Angeles and uh, plant a church. His father wanted to plant a church there, but he didn't have a pastor. He said, just go there for three months and uh, see what you can do. That was 20 years ago. He's still there. He opened up a little storefront. He was going to start a church. Nobody came. He began to pray, and he got broken before God. God sent him out into the streets, and he saw the drug dealers and the pimps and the prostitutes and the gang members, and he saw what was happening. He started talking to him about Jesus. They threatened to kill him over and over and over again. But he continued to love them and be involved in their lives. And it's too long a story to tell here. But over these years, I mean, they've started rehab programs. They've ministered to the people. They bought a hospital eventually. Uh, they've transformed that whole community. In fact, the crime rate in that area has dropped 73%. And they attribute it to the church. They're making a difference because they're involved in people's lives through the week helping people off drugs come back into a relationship with Jesus and be redeemed. He said, our worship team members, I mean, we've got gang members and prostitutes. These are all former gang members and prostitutes and all kinds of people. He said, you know you're uh, in a tough situation when your ushers are wearing ankle bracelets. But they're seeing redemption happen because they've gotten involved. And I'm not suggesting that you and I do that, particularly unless God calls us to. But I'm just saying... Real compassion from a biblical standpoint involves coming alongside of people. Risk, yes, investment, and time and money. But I came across a book about a year ago. Hal Jones, our own Hal Jones with Global Hope International, had told me about it. And then when Joe Littlefield and I went to Kenya last year, and you know we've been working with the Mathari Valley slums over there and, and building schools with our partners, the Kamaos. Uh, the president of Christian Missionary Fellowship told, told me about uh, this book as well. I thought, I better read it finally. When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. It's an intriguing title. In the preface, Dr. John Perkins who's long cared about the poor and been invested and involved in helping them from a Christian perspective, he said this, Have you ever done anything to hurt poor people? Most of us, most of you would probably answer no to this question, but the reality is that you may have done considerable harm to poor people in the very process of trying to help them. The federal government made this mistake for decades. Well-intentioned welfare programs penalized work undermined families and created dependence. The government hurt the very people it was trying to help. 
Unfortunately, the same is true for many Christian ministries today. By focusing on symptoms rather than on the underlying disease, we are often hurting the very people we're trying to help. Surprisingly, we're also hurting ourselves in the process. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must simply do better. I'll elaborate on that in just a moment about how we hurt ourselves. But first, let me share this. The World Bank had success in loaning money to countries and peoples following World War II in the developed nations of Europe. It was working. So they thought, we can do this to the poor in undeveloped nations as well. It didn't work. They didn't have the infrastructure, the social services. They didn't have the economy that would support that. So it was just a dependency cycle. So the World Bank asked the poor, the experts in poverty, what is poverty? They asked 60,000 people. I shared a bunch of quotes on Friday night. I don't have time to do that here. But the people in general, these poor people in various nations of undeveloped countries said, when you're poor, you have no voice. Nobody listens to you. When you're poor, you feel shame. When you're poor, you feel you have nothing to contribute. People feel like you're garbage. They want you just to be out of the way. When you're poor, you have no choices. You, you know, think of the choices we have. Oh, what kind of a job am I going to have? Where am I going to get my education? Uh, what am I going to buy this week? No, when you're poor, they said you have no choices. Now, interestingly, when Americans are asked about poverty, we say things like, well, you don't have food, or you don't have clothing, or you don't have shelter. That's not how the poor see it. You see the difference? And when we're coming from this perspective and think, oh, okay, we know their problem. Here's what they need. Let's give them money. Let's come in and let's fix these people. We just perpetuate the problem. Now they feel demeaned, diminished, not listened to. We have just continued the problem. rather, And we're hurting ourselves because we think we as Americans, oh, we have the resources and, and our pride comes in and we perpetuate our own self-righteousness and helping them all too often. Rather than realizing, you know what? They have things we don't have. Any of us that have been on the mission field see that. They have amazing family ties and joy. Those in Jesus in particular, we say, wow. We can learn from them. And if we will come in with a humble attitude like Jesus came to us and ask them, what are your needs? What are the resources that you folks have that you can contribute? And, and how can we come alongside of you suffer along with, how can we come alongside of you and work together to see this happen? That's what's happening in the Mathari Valley slums of Nairobi, by the way. It's wonderful what's happening there, but it's a partnership. And so we can help people without hurting them when we take the attitude of Jesus toward the oppressed, the widows, the fatherless, those who are suffering injustice. You know, in this story of the Good Samaritan, the, the Samaritan didn't look at him and say, hey, buddy, why don't you just go get a job? No, that wouldn't have helped, right? Uh, he didn't criticize him. What's the matter you? He's so stupid going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Don't you know this is a, a tough stretch of road? It is. No, that wouldn't have helped. Instead, he got involved with him. Now, I added a little supplement to this story. 
and that is, I'm not sure this is scriptural, by the way, um, that three weeks later, that Samaritan came back, and he asked the innkeeper, so whatever happened to that guy that I brought in here? He said, well, the money ran out, and uh, he was okay by then, but he kept coming to the dining room table because by that time he liked the food, and he just liked to eat here, and so I kicked him out. And so he went down the road, and he's holding a sign down there for quite a while, hungry, we'll work for food. And uh, people would come by and offer him a job, but he'd tell them to beat it. Uh, and so he's still down there. And so the Samaritan goes down there and says, friend, I helped you when you needed help, but now I need to help you out of this situation you need to restore your dignity. You need to work because you're able to do so. And, and let me help you get into some job training. Obviously, he had such a thing. Anyway, why do I speculate about that? I think I have New Testament basis for that. Because the New Testament as well as the Old says that work is honorable. That it restores and creates dignity in people rather than just being in a dependence cycle. There are so many factors, though, as to why people don't step out of poverty. Most of us have a very simplistic understanding of it. After all, in, the, in America, the average person makes $90 a day. Three billion people in our world live on $2 a day or less. How, do, how can we possibly understand that? So we have a simplistic view. Think, just get a job. It's not quite that easy. Dr. Wes Stafford, who's one of my heroes, he was the president of Compassion International for many years, which has helped people to sponsor children. I know over 125 of you folks have done so. Sponsored Compassion Children is a worthy, wonderful organization. He said that uh, there's, well, he's got what he calls his poverty wheel. There's six spokes on that wheel health, education, uh, water, all, environment, all these things, job, family, if these things are not intact, probably going to have poverty. And it's tough to step out of that. It's just not as simplistic as we've generalized it to be when we criticize the poor or rationalize our lack of compassion or involvement for them. So you deal with the poor one at a time individually because each has a story and each of us when we'll get off our donkey and get involved with that person become part of that person's story and we see change in their lives and guess what we see change in our hearts as well and we realize wow God you really uh, are that person does have something to contribute to my life and I'm being changed in the process so that's another factor that happens when we begin to show compassion. Here's the third. When we show compassion, we're actually doing something, not because the law of God commands it, but because the love of God compels us. When Jesus finished his story to the religious scholar, he asked him a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Wow. He says that to us as well, doesn't he? Go and do the same. 
Show mercy. Show compassion to the people around you that are hurting, that are suffering. We can start right in our own family. We can start right in our own church family. The people around us at work, maybe someone that we live beside. Who is it, Lord, that is lying in the ditch, having been beaten up by the circumstances of life, that needs prayer, that needs my active involvement? I'm willing to get down off my donkey and do something, Jesus. But rules won't compel us, folks. Not even the pastor's encouragement will compel us to do that. But something will, and Paul nails it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he writes this. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he who died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a key in there. When we become convinced that Christ died for us when we were helpless, that he extended compassion to us, and that he continues to extend compassion to us, and don't you need it on a daily basis? When we become convinced of that, of the love of Christ for us, we're willing to share that compassion with other people. That's the key. We need to open our hearts to the love of God. Re believe it, receive it, and then extend it to those around us. That's the greatest motivator to moving, to get down off our donkey and help, is to realize the love of God for us, the compassion Christ extended to us. Who is it around you, around me, that needs our compassion? The lost Somebody suffering in some other way? Someone dealing with a sickness or an illness, a financial struggle? What is it? The Lord will show us. We can give. We've got a Thanksgiving offering coming up in a few weeks, and we're going to share with the River of Life that's doing a wonderful work. We're going to share that, those funds with ministries all the way uh, to the ends of the earth in some powerful ways. Victims of ISIS and uh, other victims in Ethiopia you'll be hearing about that. Yeah, we can do that. We can pray about what we can give. That's an involvement. We can make it a vocation. We have people in our church that are doing that. We have missionaries, the Van Wagenens, who've just come back from uh, Ethiopia. We've got uh, other folks that are out there just ministering to those who are in desperate need. Helen, John, Lana Jones, that's their vocation. Danny Goya has a ministry to provide preschool for the homeless along the Waianae Coast. That's his vocation. Tisha Wojtenko, she's involved with our city and county, working with the homeless situation. You can do something vocationally. We can all do something in a volunteer capacity. Through the ministry of this church, in particular, we're highlighting Common Grace this weekend, which we started 14 years ago. Partnership between this church and Queen Liliokalani School. Now there's 25 church school partnerships. We presently are up in Palolo Valley. Most of those kids coming from the housing projects up there. We're sending, I think, 17 people uh, up there each week. Spend an hour a week with a kid in the public school. And in fact, the principal of, of that Palolo Elementary has a word to share with us this morning, an invitation. Listen to what she has to say. I'm Holly Kionaga, principal and the proudest pug 
Palolo Elementary School up in Palolo Valley. Students at our, at our school that have been in Common Grace are excited every Wednesday. Every Wednesday they're by the office, they're waiting for their mentors. I see them out there playing ball. I see them talking and discussing and, and, and just being happy to be at school and, and just to be kids with adults working with them outside of their families. It's a it's a it's a win-win situation for us. For kids, mentorship is is very important besides having the adults in their lives and their families as well as at school. It's really important for them to reach, to have others reach out to them, such as Common Grace, that has really given our students an opportunity to grow and to learn and to play and to move ahead in their lives. There are more children and we wish that we had a bunch of more mentors from Common Grace to come and work with our students. We're very excited. Um, they work so well with our students. We're seeing them be more confident when they come to school as a result. And we're very, very excited to have men more mentors coming through Common Grace in, in the spring. We're hoping that the program will grow and it'll thrive and be a part of our school community. We're seeing many successes now. We hope that that success will permeate to many more students who really, really need the assistance and the mentorship of Common Grace. Isn't that amazing that a principal of a public school is inviting folks from the church to come onto the campus and spend time with the child there? They're seeing the results of that. It's a wonderful partnership. When my little common grace over at Lilio Kalani School was in the second grade. I began meeting with him at lunch, and uh, he was a second grader then. He's a sophomore now, excuse me, a junior in high school. He was here the other night playing on our worship team. Came to Bible school. He's got so many aunties and uncles in this church now. And it, it's just blessed my life uh, to see what God's been doing in that young kid's life and uh, how he's come to know Jesus. God calls us each to show compassion, but in different ways. Each of us are in different circumstances. Each of us have different gifts. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I believe he's calling each of us to have a different attitude toward the poor, toward the oppressed, toward the fatherless, toward the widows, to suffer along with them and to come alongside those that he leads us to. He'll show us if we'll ask him. Let's come back to that affirmation statement, that key belief that we b began with. What do you believe about compassion? What are you and I willing to do? Let's declare this, okay, together. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you showed compassion to us. Come among us. Humbled yourself. And you even became sin, that we might receive your righteousness through the sacrifice of your life and your death on the cross. Lord, we of all people need to understand what it means to receive compassion and therefore gratefully extend it to others. We pray that you'd widen our hearts to be like yours, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.